Last time we were together, we studied in Genesis or, or Hebrews chapter 11, the generations of faith, and we, we talked about uh, a chain of faith in the Bible that goes from Abraham all the way to a prostitute named Rahab. Now, over a period of hundreds of years, each person in this chain of faith came to the same conclusion, and the conclusion was that God couldn't be trusted. And tonight we're going to study the last portion of the Hall of Faith chapter. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go to Hebrews chapter 11. And I will tell you this, uh, though this is the last study in Hebrews 11, uh, next time we're together, whenever that may be, uh, we're going to look at the first part of, of chapter 12 because it is so well connected to chapter 11, all right? So we'll get into that a little bit as well. Uh, so tonight we're going to study the last portion of the Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews 11. And this portion of Scripture outlines what we might call a paradox of faith. I put on your notes, I believe, that the dictionary defines a paradox as a seemingly contradictory statement that may nonetheless be true. A statement that seems to contradict one another or contradict two things, but, but still nonetheless may be true. Here's the paradox of faith. Listen to this. Two people can exhibit tremendous faith and have very different outcomes. And the question would be, which one really believed God? Two people having tremendous faith and, and experiencing very different outcomes. And the question would be, which one believed God? For example, two people who need healing both exhibit strong faith in God one was healed, one was not. So which one of the two really believed God? It's possible they both did. Don't have, I printed them out. Thank you for telling me. No, 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 they're probably on my desk. I printed them out on Friday. Chris, John, I think my office is locked, so... Thank you for telling me that. Thank you. See, that's what happens when I do it so far ahead of time. I forget I've done it. I printed them out on Friday. Okay, so you'll get notes in a minute. <laughs> and we'll try to make sure all the blanks are filled in so you can sleep it tonight. <laughs> okay, so, so here's the question in this paradox of faith. If two people believe God and they have different outcomes, which one believed God? And the truth is, maybe they both did. Well, why, why wasn't both of them healed? Why didn't both of them have their needs met? Why, you know, how, how is it that two people can believe God, trust God, have faith in God, and yet have different outcomes? That's the paradox of faith. I want you, well, you don't have your outline, so <laughs> let's just wait. <laughs> Here it is. Thank you. Boy, that was fast.
All right, are there any blanks I need to cover yet? <laughs> Let me see you outline. No, we're good. Okay. No, I, I, I think I'll be fine. Thank you. Hey, folks, uh, hope you got your outline. Hope you got your pen and got your Bible. And let's just jump in now that you, you're ready, I hope, to go. Notice on number one, as we talk about the paradox of faith. Number one, faith enables, enables us to experience the miraculous. Now, that, that's probably what you would, would expect, but it is worth looking into as we look at the text. But Put that on your notes. Faith enables us to experience the miraculous. Look at verse 32. Hebrews 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? He says, what else do I need to tell you about this whole thing of called faith? Then he says something interesting. He says, I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies or foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. We'll stop there for a moment. As the, the writer of Hebrews is looking back over the Old Testament, it's as if he's scanning the pages of the Old Testament. And he's flipping through the pages of the Old Testament and saying, now I don't have time to tell you all of these stories. I've told you a lot of the stories in Hebrews 11. We, we've looked at a lot of the Hebrews of, uh, or a lot of the heroes of, of the faith, like Abraham and Moses and all of those. But the writer is saying, I don't have time to tell you everything. I don't have time to tell you about all of the stories of the, the great men and women of faith. He mentions by name six people. And it's, they're not listed in chronological order, but they were all rulers of one kind or another. And none of them were praised for their office. None of them were praised for their position. All of them, however, were praised for their faith that enabled them to accomplish something. And so he talks about the very first one in verse 32. He talks about Gideon. And I've put there on your notes, I believe, the, the, the passage in the Old Testament where you can read about Gideon, Judges 6 through 7. Let me just summarize for you, and then we're going to read it. Uh, Gideon was a military leader whose army shrank from 32,000 down to 300. And then with trumpets and pitchers and torches and complete faith in God, Gideon defeated the Midianite army. It is such an incredible picture of faith that we're not going to be able to read all of these stories, but I want to read this one. Uh, would you find Judges chapter 6? Go back in the Old Testament to Judges chapter 6. When you think of Gideon, before we get into this, when you think of Gideon, what comes to mind about Gideon? Say what? Oh, Gideon Bibles. <laughs> you ask and you get, right? <laughs> well, when I, let me, I, when I think of Gideon in the Old Testament, when I think of Gideon in the Old Testament, I think of this man who was so reluctant 
to believe God could do anything through him. Remember the fleece? Yeah, you've heard that phrase, you put out your fleece? That was from the story of Gideon. And, and, in, and in chapter 6, uh, verse 1, we're going to take time to read through this a little bit. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of, of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. In other words, the Midianites were so bad that the, the Israelites were hiding. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. Uh, that is, after their crops came, you know, when it's time to harvest, they came and harvested them. They camped on the land and, and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like a swarm of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Verse 7, when the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian... He sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors, and I drove them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of, of Oprah, and, and they belonged to Joash the Bezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Now watch this. This is so good. Verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, who, who's kind of hiding, and he's, he's thrashing, uh, threshing wheat in this winepress, he's hiding from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you. And what does he call him? Mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Haven't you asked that question before? God, if you're real, why, why is this happening? God, if you're really with me, why is this happening? Why have you allowed this? If, if you're God, why have you allowed this? Why haven't you done anything? So that was Gideon's question. Now, you just never know what the Lord's going to say to him or to you. Look what he said, what Gideon said first. Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Verse 15. <laughs> but Lord... Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Translation, you got the wrong guy. There's no way I can do this. I mean, the, in verse 16, the Lord answered, I'll be with you. And that's all you need right there, isn't it? I'll be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. And Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that, that it really is you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring an offering and set it before you. And so Gideon goes and he prepares his stuff and all this. Uh, and, and he builds this altar. And, and, and then 
Gideon is struggling with his faith. He's struggling to believe that God can and God will use him. And that's when we have the whole fleece thing. I'm going to put out this fleece. Uh, so let, let's pick that up. Um, let's start in verse 33. No, verse 36. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, here's the deal, God. Shorter's translation. I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I'll know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day, and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Now, what do you think went through his mind as he picked up that wet fleece and it was just dripping through his hands? Uh-oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good Hebrew word for that, uh-oh. All right, and so Gideon did what you and I would do. Verse 39, Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. God, <laughs> I got another deal for you. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. So tomorrow when I get up, let the ground be just soaking wet and let that fleece be dry. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. A double uh-oh, yeah. A big uh-oh. Now, I wanted you... I wanted you to know that story because I think what happens next is tied to his reluctance to believe God. It's tied to his reluctance to obey God. It's tied to his reluctance to believe that God could or would use him. Because now he goes in the power of the Lord to defeat the Midian army, right? Now he's going to go, he's going to lead this military, and they're going to defeat Israel's enemy. And when he goes there, he goes there with quite an impressive army, about 32,000 guys. And before he gets to engage these men in battle, God says, oh, by the way, you've got too many soldiers there. This man who was reluctant to believe that God could do anything through him, God says, um, excuse me, you've got too many men. There's too many soldiers there because if you all win the battle, you all will get the credit for it. You just outnumbered them. So we're going to reduce your army. And if you know the story, it, it's, it is really kind of funny. I, 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 for sake of time, uh, we're going to go through it quickly. Uh, let's start in verse 2, chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, watch this, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave. So 22,000 men left. <laughs> but he's still feeling pretty good about it because he's got 10,000. And I'm sure those 10,000 were talking about the cowards, the 22,000 cowards who turned and ran. But he's still got 10,000. Uh, that's a lot of army. And then God says, um, excuse me, but you've still got too many. Uh, let's read and see what happens. 
Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. And if I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. And if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouths, and all the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. Now, verse 8 is a great, a great step of faith. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the three hundred. And now watch this. Kept the 300 who took over the provisions and, and what? Trumpets of the others. This is not a band. Why in the world? Oh, before you guys leave, we need your trumpet. You know the story that God used Gideon. God enabled Gideon with trumpets and pitchers and torches. And complete faith in God to defeat the Midianite army. And I'm going to say that one more time. God used Gideon and his men with trumpets and pitchers and torches and complete faith in God to defeat the Midianite army. That's why he's in the Hall of Faith chapter. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Read it again now. You've got that background. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon. And the people who were reading this for the first time could in their mind go back and understand this this whole story from the Old Testament. They know about Gideon, how, how this man with complete faith in God took torches and pitchers to defeat an army. And then he mentions someone else. Who's the next person that he mentions? Barak. Judges 4 and 5, it's a military leader who conquered Sisera and, and, a, with the, and the Canaanite army with the help of Deborah, the prophetess. Uh, we won't take time to read that story, but, but his faith faltered a little bit, and he needed this uh, prophetess, Deborah. He needed her assistance. And then the next one is Samson. Samson is one that you probably know about, Judges 13 through 16, a man of tremendous physical strength, who had some very real weaknesses. What was his real weakness? Women. Yeah, absolutely. But, though he had a very real weakness in the area of women, he never doubted that God was the source of his strength, source of his power, and he ended up willingly giving his life to defeat the enemy. And so he becomes a member of the Hall of Faith as well. Jephthah is in Judges 11 through 12. He was used by God to defeat the Ammonites. And then David, we want to camp there for a moment. David is the next one mentioned in in that verse. He was known for his faith in God even from a young age. Now, I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17 with me. Let's, Let's go over to the left, 1 Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel 17, look at verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me 
with sword and spear and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And today I'll give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Now, the thing you need to know about that, that tremendous faith in God, you know how old David was when he said this to that giant? Yeah, a teenager. He was a teenager standing in front of this giant, and the rest of the army, the rest of the army, they were afraid to fight him, and David come, comes to him and he says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. He defeated Goliath. It never seemed to occur to David not to trust in God. Even from a young age, he had this, this obvious trust in the Lord God Almighty. So going back to Hebrews 11 again, we come to the next person mentioned is Samuel. Samuel is in 1 Samuel 1 through 16. His story is in the Old Testament. Uh, he's a prophet of God who did not fight military battles, but he sure did fight spiritual battles. He was God's man who fought spiritual battles. His foes were idolatry and immorality, and he had the courage and the faith to stand up and to speak God's truth to God's people. And then I want you to notice, who's the next person mentioned? All right, it says, look at David, Samuel, and the prophets. I just put others in your notes. Look how it, how it describes them. These... There were many more heroes of the faith. He says, And the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. Who does that sound like? Yes. Quenched the fury of the flames. Who does that sound like? From the Old Testament. Exactly. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Uh, women received back their dead race to life again. In other words, the people mentioned in Hebrews 11, this is just a sampling that is given of the miraculous types of faith that these men and women had. And God did some amazing things because of their miraculous faith. Now, if we had the time, listen to this. Everybody listen, listen and look up this way. If we had the time, I bet you could name, add some names to that list. And I don't mean from the Old Testament. I mean from your life. I bet you could tell us about some amazing examples of faith. I bet you could tell us, maybe in your own walk with God, about some times when God did the miraculous. Your testimony might be that God healed you. Your testimony might be that God miraculously met a financial need. Your testimony might be that God restored a broken marriage. Your testimony might be that God miraculously provided a job for you. Your testimony might be that God brought back your wayward child. Your testimony might be that when I had this faith in God, He did the miraculous. And I bet if we took the time, a lot of you could tell us those stories. These are what I call, and you've heard me say this before, these are what I call yay God moments. Those times when God shows up and you know it was God. Those times when God does something that you could not have done. Those times when you had faith in God, you believed that God could and, God, and that God would and God did. Those times when our faith enabled us are times when faith provides a miracle. Without telling us what it is, 
Does anybody know any stories like that? Or have you experienced stories like that? Raise your hand. Raise it high. Raise it high. All right. All right. Wonderful. Here is the paradox of faith. Remember the definition of a paradox? A seemingly contradictory statement that may nonetheless be true. Faith does enable us to experience the miraculous. No no doubt about that. And we've just seen examples of that in Scripture. Faith does enable us to experience the miraculous. But number two, put this on your notes. Faith enables us to endure affliction. Yes, it enables us to experience the miraculous, but sometimes faith enables us to endure affliction. Because after talking about all the great things that these people did by faith, then we look at the other side of the coin, the second half of verse 35. Others, others compared to the ones we've just talked about, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the grounds. These were all commended for their faith. Those things didn't happen to them because they didn't have faith. Those things happened to them even as they exhibited faith. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. The transition in verse 35 is an important transition. Not all men and women of faith experience miraculous deliverance. Some of these heroes of the faith were tortured. And died. You see, when you think of the heroes of the faith, most of the time we think of the people we've talked about previously. We think about Abraham and, and, and Moses and all those kind of people, David and all those kind of people. We think about the great things that they did because of their faith in a great God. But really, did you, do you realize that some of the people in the, hero, in the heroes of faith chapter, for some of those it didn't turn out real well. The word others, translated in verse 35, means others of a different kind. Others of a different kind. These others, they had faith, but God did not see fit to deal with them in the same way he dealt with Moses or Gideon or David. The miraculous doesn't always have to happen in order for faith to work. Did you hear that? The miraculous doesn't always have to happen in order for faith to work. Having a steadfast faith in God does not guarantee a happy life or a carefree life. Just because you have faith in God doesn't mean that everything's going to go well and everything is going to uh, be nice. Faith is not something we use to manipulate God into action. Faith is confidence in God, period. See, we think of faith, maybe you don't, but I do. I, I think of faith most of the time as if I believe God enough, He's going to do this for me. If I believe and believe and believe and believe, then, then maybe God's going to step up. 
there's an aspect where, where you could say, yes, that's faith, but sometimes God gives us the power to go through a problem rather than to remove the problem. Let me just give you a personal example, and boy, this is such a pitiful example because what I've gone through is nothing compared to what a lot of people have gone through, and I, I just want to underline that. What I've gone through is nothing compared to what others have gone through. But I truly do believe that God can heal. I mean, I really do believe that. I've seen God heal people. I know some of you, God has healed you. I truly believe that God heals people in miraculous ways. But I also know that God does not have to, does not have to heal in order to prove that I have faith. Uh, some of you know, a lot of you know probably, I've got rheumatoid arthritis. I've had it for 27 years. I've got a pretty severe case of rheumatoid arthritis I've had for 27 years. I'm on four different medications. I take a shot every two weeks. At least I'm supposed to take it every two weeks. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's, it's a pretty severe case of it. But you know what? God could heal me if he wanted to. I have faith that God could. doesn't mean he's going to. And it doesn't mean I don't have faith if he doesn't. Right of Hebrews records the fact that many unknown men and women, many unknown men and women of faith were not delivered from their difficult circumstances. And yet, God honored their faith. In fact, I think this is on your notes. If it's not, it, it ought to be. It takes more faith to endure than it does to escape. Would you, believe with, would you agree with that? It takes more faith to endure than it does to, to escape. What do you think I mean by that? Somebody help me. What do you think I mean that it takes more faith to endure than it does to escape? Yeah, absolutely. I love, love, love in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, the greatest example of this that I know of is in Daniel chapter 3 over in the Old Testament. Go find that, that book if you would. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, uh, they're facing the, the fiery furnace. And it says in verse 16, as they talk to Nebuchadnezzar, the king, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But, verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You know what, what these guys were saying? We believe God is able to do this. We believe God will do this. But if he doesn't, 
he's still God. And we'll still trust him. You see, we need to be very careful that we never conclude that the absence of deliverance means an absence of faith. Sometimes, God in his sovereignty chooses to take us through it rather than remove us from it. Look back in Hebrews 11, verse 39. And we'll soon be be finishing up. Verse 39. I want you to notice what God says about these, these dear saints who, unlike David and Moses and all those other guys, they were not delivered. They didn't experience great victories. But these are folks who experienced great sorrow and great tragedy. And it says in verse 39, these were all, what's that next word? These were all what? These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Now I want you to notice this phrase very carefully. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. See, not all the heroes of faith experienced immediate triumph over their circumstances, but they were all blessed by God. They were commended by God. Run quickly to Hebrews, I'm sorry, to 1 Peter to the right. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through what? Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. The fact that you trust God does not mean that you won't have trials. Verse 7, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. In other words, you're experiencing this so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And look what he says. For you, you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Which brings us back to the last verse in Hebrews 11. Verse 40, he, said, he ends this chapter, this Hall of Faith chapter, with an interesting verse. Verse 40, he says, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So he brings it into the present day when he's, he's talking about in the past tense, he's talking about these heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. And then he says, verse 39, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, New Testament believers, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Let me tell you what that's talking about before we leave because it is indeed something to celebrate. You see the, the phrase there, for us? 
God has something better for us, and he talks about with us. The, the for us there is talking about those who are under the new covenant. Those who are on this side of Calvary. And we're under a new covenant. Everybody prior to verse 40 was under the old covenant. Everybody, verses 39, going backwards to verse 1 of chapter 11, they were under the old covenant, under the, the Old Testament covenant. But now, during our time, in this time of Christianity, the salvation they looked forward to could now be completed. And I want you to know, folks, you and I have an advantage that they did not have. They, they look forward in faith to, to, to the Lord's death on the cross, not fully comprehending, I'm sure, what all of that meant, but they look forward in faith to the fact that God would send a sacrifice. Their salvation was based on what Christ would do one day. Our salvation is based on what Christ has done. We don't have to look forward in faith, longing for that day when our salvation will be completed. We can look back in faith because our salvation has been completed at the cross of Christ. And that's why he says, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect or complete. And so that's the great chapter of faith, the heroes of the faith, which will lead us into chapter 12. Not that we'll study the whole chapter, but the first few verses at least in chapter 12. There's a word in chapter 12, verse 1. It's the word, therefore. He's saying, based on what I've told you about these great men and women of faith, chapter 11, now let me tell you how it applies to your life. And that's what we'll look at the next time we're together, okay? All right, let's, let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that even though sometimes we have to endure, we do not endure that alone. Sometimes our faith uh, brings about the miraculous. and Sometimes our faith enables us to hold on. I pray, Lord, that you'd continue to honor our faith. That we will trust that you can and that you will. And even if you don't, we'll still trust. Because you are Lord and you are God. We thank you for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.